Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday morning, August the 8th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, uh, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and our uh, esteemed and erudite guest, uh, Dr. J.B. Hickson. Uh, we, as always, did you we did are, you just say esteemed and arrogant guest? Er, no, erudite. <laughs> oh, erudite. Sorry, my <laughs> hearing. Sometimes my hearing p- plays tricks on me. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> One thing I know you're not, brother, is arrogant. That's that's part of why I love you so much. Yeah. Uh, but we are lucky to have you with us today, and and uh, our listeners know that they've been waiting for to hear from you anyway. And uh, we we have we have. Um, a very interesting and important topic to talk about today. So without taking a whole lot more time with introduction, um, let's get into it. Um, I've often wondered, JB, uh, I've talked to a lot of people about the gospel. Sometimes I've gone to them with comments about the gospel uh, in, in, in an effort to win to win them over to Jesus Christ. And sometimes they come to me uh, with questions, uh, and one of them uh, that I've gotten quite often is, hey, uh, can I really trust the Bible? How do we get it, and where did it come from, and and is it, is it, I mean, it was written by men, so is it accurate? And I'll bet you could shine a light on, on uh, how I should answer something like that. Um, and maybe our listeners have experienced the same thing uh, about the accuracy of the gospel. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, thanks so much, Curtis. It is uh, great to be back with you, and I always appreciate the platform of Christian Underground News Network because you do such a great job of getting solid biblical truth out to the body of Christ uh, through uh, through the program. Uh, Dick Chamberlain, of course, dear friend and brother, has been championing grace for for longer than uh, I, he probably wants me to say, because uh, but it's been a long time. And uh, and then, of course, our mutual friend, uh, Lucas Doremus, has been a frequent guest recently on the NBW podcast, and he too is just a solid biblicist. And so uh, being on Christian Underground News Network is always a highlight for me, because it gives me the chance just to, to basically preach. You know, a lot of our podcasts are, are d- dialoguing and interviewing and discussing current events and getting input on various topics about technology or preparedness or so forth. But uh, when we're on Christian Underground News Network, we stay really rooted in uh, the Word of God, which, of course, we we try to to do that anyway. That's our goal is to run everything through the lens of Scripture. But uh, yeah, as far as the trustworthiness of God's Word, you know, that really is an underlying issue that I want to address with our topic today. Now, we're going to be talking about uh, things that can never undo the believer's salvation. Things that can never undo the believer's salvation. And this uh, topic has arisen out of a, a just a recent burden that I felt just in the last week or so, based on multiple conversations, emails, dialogues that I've had, where it just seems like, once again, uh, the enemy has reared his ugly head trying to convince people that uh, you know they have to do something to hang on to their salvation or to prove their salvation. And uh, so we're going to talk about several different angles uh, about that and address that issue uh, this morning. But, you know, the problem is uh, when you begin with a, a premise or a conclusion and then go looking for 
you know, support for that, uh, then you're you're going to end up, you know, having a you know having a problem. Uh, you're going to end up solving an imaginary problem. You might say. In other words, let's say we start with uh, if I, if I just walked up to you and I said, uh, "Hey, you know, the answer is 22." Well, you're going to look at me and you're going to be like, uh, "Well, wait a minute, what's the question?" Well. You know, the problem is if I just start with that question, the answer is 22. The question might be, what is 11 plus, you know, 11? What is 24 minus 2? What is 20 plus 2? There are all kinds of ways I can get there. Uh, so you don't want to start with the wrong premise uh, because if the question happens to be, what is 2 plus 2? Well, then 22 is the wrong answer. So you got to start with the right question and make sure you build it on the right foundation. And so sadly, many people really don't understand grace. And I don't mean that in a personally attacking way. I don't mean that in a, in a, in a negatively critical way. It's just an observation because anytime people struggle with wondering whether or not they can really get to heaven absolutely free of charge, it shows they don't really know what grace is. And uh, I've had multiple conversations recently where people will say, uh, because they, they've learned that it's the right view, well, yeah, you can never lose your salvation. And I hard, wholeheartedly agree. Amen. Praise God to that. But then they, they begin to struggle with a sort of a, a footnote or an asterisk. But, you know, you can never lose your salvation. But if you do this or this, why, you know, that's just a bridge too far. And clearly that person's not going to heaven. And then I go back and I say, well, but wait a minute, you just said you can never lose it. And then of course, we all know the, the frequently appealed to escape clause, which is, oh yeah, well, well, they never had it. That's, that's the kind of the, the uh, escape clause or the backdoor policy that allows people to de facto hold a lack of eternal security view and yet claim they really believe in eternal security. So let me see if I can state it a little more clearly. There are those out there who unashamedly will say and earnestly believe that you have to do good works to get saved. And therefore, if you don't do good works consistently or you commit any bad sins, you will lose carte blanche your salvation. Uh, that is basically the Arminian perspective from a theological viewpoint. But just to keep it simple, it's just people that teach and believe and hold on to a works-based salvation. And those are fairly easy to dismiss biblically. And that's the reason, you know, most people, you know, kind of stiffen their necks at that view. They, they would admit, no, yeah, you don't have to work for your salvation. Jesus, you know, paid for our salvation. Uh, but let me just hammer that home for a second, just to put that one to bed. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The theme verse for our ministry is Titus 3.5, which plainly says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And of course, you know, Romans uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 5, uh, actually chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So in other words, do you have to work 
and do good works to get into heaven? Absolutely not. The Bible could not be more clear on that. It is not by works of righteousness. So, uh, so anyone who teaches that you have to do good works to become saved, or if the if you stop doing them or do any bad works, you lose it. They simply are teaching a false doctrine. It's the age-old enemy of grace that has been around uh, since you know the, the the earliest days of the church, and frankly, well before the church, even in Old Testament times, the Jewish people had become wrongly convinced that their entrance into heaven was based upon keeping the law, and instead, it was not based on keeping the law. God said it's by faith. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, believed God, and his faith was accounted as righteous. And what God demands is righteousness, but you can't get the righteousness that God demands by doing righteous things because you have to be perfect. Jesus said, unless you are perfect, uh, you know, your, your righteousness has to be perfect, Matthew 5, uh, 48. So, so the fact that people believe you have to do good works to be saved, or if you don't do good works, you lose it, lose your salvation, that's easily dismissed. Uh, I deal with that extensively in some of my writings, and if folks are struggling with that, I just encourage you to, as always, read the Word of God. Do a, a quick concordance search, which these days you don't even have to pull out your old 3,000-pound Strong's concordance that you need a luggage cart to carry around. You can just go on a, any smartphone, uh, download the free Logos Bible software app, and do a word search for grace. And if you start you know, read, reading all the verses in the New Testament about grace, you will begin to realize that grace is absolutely free. Romans 3.24 says we are justified, that means declared righteous, freely by His grace. And I was privileged to edit a, a very uh, excellent uh, book. The, I was the general editor and wrote two chapters in it. Uh, Roy Zook and Rick Whitmire also were co-editors along with me. It's called Freely by His Grace, and that's where we get the name of that book from Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace. And by the way, that's an outstanding resource. I think it's over 600 pages. It's got 16 chapters, 14 contributors, uh, all about grace unto salvation and grace unto sanctification in the believer's life. So I highly recommend that if anybody uh, is interested, you can get it at notbyworks.org or on Amazon or wherever. So that that's the first issue that I just wanted to take a few moments to kind of, you know, address. But the real issue that's burdening my heart are those who would who would say, as I mentioned a moment ago, no, no, you, you can't lose your salvation. And yet, to a greater or lesser degree, people I find people are hanging on to some exception of some kind. There's just some list, short though it may be, that if you do these things, then you are not going to heaven. The fact that they would explain that theologically by saying, because you never were saved to begin with, does not change the fact that they believe if you do these things, you're going to hell. And, uh, you know, it's it's logically, uh, you know, a, a, a logical error to simply be able to say, oh, well, you never had it to begin with, because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. You get eternal life the moment you believe it. Jesus said, I give you eternal life, and you shall never perish eternal life is a present possession that you obtain at an instantaneous moment in time when your faith meets the gospel. And from that moment in time on, from that punctiliar instant, 
on, you have what Jesus promised you have, which is eternal life. And so for someone to come along later and say, oh, well, you never really had it, well, then it it questions two things. First of all, it questions the promise of Christ and his integrity when he said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. But it also questions the integrity of the person. And you're basically claiming to climb inside their mind and tell them what they believed and what they didn't. And uh, you cannot do that. Uh, only you know what you believe. And yes, you do know what you believe. It is, it is a, a nominological fallacy to suggest that a person can't really know whether or not they have believed something. Uh, you know whether you believe something. Uh, any premise that I could ask, any pro proposition that I could put forth, I could ask you, do you believe that or not? And you will be able to answer it, unless, of course, you have mental incapacities or you're you know, so young that you don't have the intellectual ability to think and understand words and language. But assuming there's no mental incapacity, if I ask you, do you believe X, Y, or Z, you will be able to give me an answer. Now, the answers are, yes, I believe it. No, I don't believe it. Or I don't know yet. I'm still thinking about it. But that third one is de facto unbelief. If you don't know if you believe something, you don't believe it. Because if you believe it, you believe it. I mean, you know what you believe. And so a person knows whether or not they have believed that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again for their sins and is their only hope for eternal life. You know if you've placed your faith in the only one who can save you. And as our listeners have no doubt heard me say so many times, they're probably tired of me saying it, the New Testament clearly states more than 160 times, that's 160, that our eternal life is conditioned upon faith only. So there is one condition uh, to go to heaven. You've got to accept the free gift. You, you can't, it's not forced upon you. Uh, you don't need a gift to get a gift. You you get a gift and you have to receive that gift. And people all the time confuse the means of receiving the gift with the gift itself. And they do this because of a misunderstanding of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And people say that you know, when it says uh, it is the gift of God, they think, you know, that is... Uh, a, 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 a that is faith that's referring to faith uh but that can't possibly be true because the pronoun that is a neuter pronoun and faith is a feminine pronoun and in greek uh the the nouns and pronouns have to agree with each other with each other in gender and number so when he says you've been saved by by grace for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves the that there is your salvation it cannot possibly be faith. It's grammatically you know, incorrect. So people just don't understand the basic premise of Scripture, which is that your salvation is by grace. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. But faith is the one condition. You've got to believe. And uh, you, you do have the capacity to believe. People have the ability to reject or accept the offer of eternal life. God did not force mankind to sin, he gave us free will. And just as he didn't force us to sin, but we chose of our own free will to do so, he doesn't force us to accept the gift. He makes it freely available, readily available, whosoever will may come, but he's not going to force it upon you. Forced love is no love at all.
and so, you know, God's grace works, uh, you know, it, it is compelling, but it's not coercive. You know, it, it definitely draws you, but if you resist it hard, hard enough, you can reject the gospel. And sadly, many people die in unbelief. Uh, you know, Jesus said in John 3.18, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what is it that condemns us to hell? Our lack of belief, not God. God's not sending anybody to hell. God's doing everything he can to keep people out of hell. That's what Peter meant when he said in 2 Peter 3.9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come uh, to repentance, that, that everybody changes their mind, and instead of rejecting God's gift, they accept God's gift. Instead of trusting in their own good works to get them into heaven, they trust in the only one who can give them the righteousness that heaven demands, Jesus Christ. And so you do have to change your mind and and, and trust in Christ. Uh, and God wants everyone uh, uh, to do that. You know, he sent his son to pay the price for the sins of the whole world. But you, you've got to accept that payment. You know, God doesn't universally send everyone to heaven. Everyone of their own sin and, and volition is on the road to hell. That's our fault. That's our predicament. We ate the proverbial apple. God didn't force it down our throats. We chose to march right over and do exactly the thing he warned us against. And therefore, because God is God, uh, he, he you know, he's true to his word. He's not a liar. He can't just say, oh, I'm okay, you ate the apple? Well, shoot. I remember I said you'd die if you did, but I was just kidding. I, I'm not really, you're not really going to die. I was wrong. Well, then that means God is untrustworthy. He's fickle. He's unfaithful. We can't believe a word he says. But God is God. He's, you know, perfect, and he can't be wrong, and he never changes. And so having laid out uh, the the warning when we did not heed the warning, we're now in quite a predicament, and that is we're sold under sin, and the wages of sin is eternal separation from God and a literal place of torment called hell. That's what the Bible says. So then God took the extraordinary step of trying to help us get out of our own predicament. He sent his eternal son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to take on human flesh, to live a perfect, holy, sinless life, so that he was the only perfectly righteous human being, and therefore he could pay the sins for all of mankind. He had room on his shoulders to, 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 to bear the weight of sin for the whole world. He died for those sins, the atoning work of Christ, uh, and then he rose again, defeating death and Satan and hell and the grave. Death is no longer an enemy for believers. And then he offers freely to all that gift of life that he purchased with his own blood. And now anyone who wants to can be forgiven. All you have to do is accept the gift. Uh, it's not complicated. It's not a, a contract. It's not some, you know, 15-page triplicate, you know, uh, written uh, contract that you've got to get your attorneys to sign off on. You simply come to Jesus empty-handed and say, uh, I trust in you. I'm receiving the gift by faith. Faith is the instrumental means by which we receive the gift. Well, you know, God doesn't believe for us. You know, the question I always want to ask people that think God has to give us the gift is, you know, if God doesn't want anyone to perish, and Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, and God's the one that gives the gift, why doesn't he give it to everybody? Now, in that scenario, you really do have a God who intentionally, willfully, with malice and forethought, sends people to hell. He capriciously selects 
some to give them the so-called gift of faith and others that he doesn't. And so that's not the God of the Bible. Uh, God does not, you know, or God did not create sin, although as I've talked about in some of my uh, critiques of Calvinism, that's precisely what guys like John Piper and uh, others uh, say. Uh, I don't know about MacArthur on this particular point, but I cite John, uh, John Piper in a recent series that I did where he actually says God created evil. God's the one that forced Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. So uh, I know that's going to be hard for some people to hear, especially if you've not studied Piper with a critical uh, I, but go back and read it. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. Um, so, you know, if you understand grace, you understand that it is absolutely free. And once you have done the one thing the Bible says you have to do to receive that gift, which is believe in Jesus, then you're saved. And, and it starts with that premise. And so then no matter what else comes up in life, especially from this, you know, incredible incredibly pervasive false teaching that is all around us, you know, you have an answer. You have the right answer. Um, so what are some things that can never undo the believer's salvation? Well, let's start with the obvious, sin. Sin cannot undo your salvation. Jesus paid for your sins, full stop. And they're all paid for. When you trusted Christ, he paid for your sins past, present, and future. And you are, you know, redeemed. And uh, so, you know, there, there's no sin that you can commit that can turn Jesus Christ into a liar. Well, he said, at the moment you believe, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. He did not mean, when you believe in me, I will give you eternal life unless you sin. Then if you sin, all bets are off. Because the fact of the matter is, believers sin. As long as we're topside this earth, we still have that fleshly nature, and the, much of the New Testament is written to describe the ongoing struggle of the believer between that fleshly desire and that new nature spiritual desire. The task of the believer is to live like the new man that he is, uh, the new man in Christ. Uh, you are in Christ. You've put on the new nature. Uh, you, you know, you now ought to cater to that. But of course, uh, as with salvation itself, God doesn't force us to be sanctified either. Uh, progressive sanctification is not guaranteed. It is uh, a, a sad reality that believers who choose to cater to the flesh can produce the sins of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, and we all do it. So let's be honest. You know, uh, every one of us listening to this podcast today, if you're a believer, you know full well that you sin. You don't always please God. You sometimes cater to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You sometimes produce the types of things that Paul talks about in his laundry list passages like 1 Corinthians 6 or Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5, things like covetousness, jealousy, anger, right? We all do that. It's not right. There are consequences for it. It breaks fellowship with our Savior. We're not enjoying the fullness of the abundant life that we could have. We're we're hurting ourselves. We're you know we're we're reaping the human consequences and practical consequences of poor decisions. But it has no bearing on who we are in Christ. You're in Christ, period. That that's who you are as a child of God. You know you've been transferred 
from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his uh, of his love and you know in in john going back to john 3 at the end of the chapter uh the, the apostle john records some words of john the baptist who says he who believes in the son has everlasting life that's one of those 160 times when eternal life is conditioned upon faith and only faith uh, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, if you're not a believer, then yeah, you've got the wrath of God on you. You're a child of wrath. Uh, you're a child of Satan. You know, there's only two options. You've either become born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, born from above, spiritually reborn, or you're, you haven't. If you haven't, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. So what once you've trusted Christ, you're no longer a child of wrath. Uh, and so you don't have to worry about the ultimate prophetic wrath of God being poured out on you in the lake of fire. You are saved. And that's what Jesus said, and he meant it. Jesus does not give any exception clauses to the security of the believer. So the very first thing that can never undo the believer's salvation is sin. So uh, sin is awful. It's destructive. Sin is, is you know, terrible in the life of a believer. It will keep you defeated. It will cause health problems. It will, you know, could kill you, literally. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death, the Bible says. So you don't want to mess around with sin at all, and you want to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. You want to walk by faith and not by sight. You want to fall in love with Jesus, your Savior, and you want to obey Him and follow Him and live out the new nature that you have. But if you don't, if you, like every believer, choose at times to cater to that old man, you do not need to fear that somehow that's going to undo your salvation. And I choose that word intentionally because I know if I just simply said, well, you can never lose your salvation, everybody would go, yep, I agree. Click. I'm going to listen to the next podcast. I don't need to listen to that. I know you can't lose your salvation. Well, do you? Uh, because you may say I, you can't lose it, but how many of you up there have a list, unspoken though it may be, of things in your mind that would say, well, but if you do that, boy, that's just, I don't see how you can do that and still go to heaven. I just, I just don't see it. And, uh, you know, sin is a pretty basic one. And so maybe you're still tracking with me at this point. And you're going, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I can see how the Bible teaches that sin cannot undo our salvation. But I promise you, here in the next five minutes, we're going to get to a few other things that probably are on your list, and they're going to make you go, wait a minute. And if they do make you go, wait a minute, I really challenge you to rethink the conclusions that you have drawn. Because uh, here's the next one. What can what can never undo the believer's salvation? Heresy and hanging on to false teaching. Uh, heresy is a very serious charge in Scripture. Uh, and let me tell you, the closer we get to the return of our Lord, there are more and more heretics everywhere you look. I mean, there are heretics behind every bush right now, and most of them are inside the church, quite frankly. The church is full of people who are teaching false doctrine. And I'm working on my new book right now, Spirit of the False Prophet, and I'm in uh, a chapter that uh, is all about false teachers, because the false prophet, of course, is going to be the, the consummate false teacher. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just am amazed at how many false teachers there are out there and how easily it is for most believers to jump on board 
the bandwagon. Um, but, uh, you know, fall, be, adopting or embracing a false teaching cannot undo what Jesus did for you the moment you believe the gospel. Jesus did not say, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish unless you begin to believe a false teaching. And so sadly, many believers who are not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, they end up embracing false teaching, cultic teachings, bad theology. Uh, and thankfully, our eternal destiny is not contingent upon correct belief, uh, because I can tell you I've had some wrong beliefs through the years, and if I'd have died at a period of time when I held a wrong belief uh, theologically, I would still end up in heaven, I promise you. I would be in heaven uh, you know, today if I were dead, because Jesus said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish, and he says that again and again and again. The only thing that can keep you out of heaven is a failure to accept the free gift. Once you've accepted it, it's yours. Jesus never takes it back, and nothing you can do can undo your salvation. Nothing you can do can invalidate it. See, that's the thing that people say, well, no, you didn't lose it. You just never had it to begin with, but either way, you end up in a works-based paradigm. In one case, you're saying, well, you've got to do good works or you can't be saved. In another case, you're saying you've got to do good works or you're not saved. You know, either way, the, the both of those paradigms pave the road back to a works-based uh, salvation. So, uh, you know, you, you, you believing in a heretical teaching cannot undo uh, the believer's salvation. Now, again, am I advocating for heresy? Absolutely not, and not any more than I'm advocating for sin. I want to be very clear. Sin kills. Don't do it. Heresy is bad. Don't do it. It's destructive. But those things will not undo the believer's salvation. Uh, and then uh, here's one. How about this? Uh, departing from the faith can never undo the believer's salvation. See, this is where people really begin to get uh, confused and concerned, because they would say, well, you know, if you stop believing, well, then clearly you can't go to heaven. But again, Jesus didn't say, if you believe in me and keep on believing in me until you die, then I will give you eternal life. He said, at the moment you believe in me, I give you eternal life. Salvation happens at a one-time moment in time, instantaneously when faith meets the gospel. And so people's faith wanes. The Scripture is very clear about the kinds of faith that believers might experience throughout their Christian life. Their faith can be rich and poor. It can be weak or strong. It can be steadfast or wavering. It can even be absent. <laughs> uh, Jesus frequently rebuked people for having no faith. So faith isn't something that we've got to keep on expressing, because otherwise Jesus was not uh, proper in saying that he gives you eternal life. What he really meant was, if you, he who believes in me, someday when you die, if you still believe in me then, I will give you eternal life. But again, he doesn't say that. Eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is something you get the moment you believe and uh, you experience eternal life even now on this earth uh, for the first so many years of your life until you either die and go the way of all flesh or until the Lord comes back. Uh, so you don't have to wait until you die to find out, hey, man, am I going to heaven? 
And yet that is, you know, de facto the way most people live their lives because they have bought in to this dangerous attack on grace, which is exactly what it is, that says, well, if you depart from the faith, if you apostatize, then you are, you're not saved. There's no way you can get to heaven if you depart from the faith. And yet, as I've pointed out many times, and as I discuss at length in my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, Scripture both directly addresses the issue of a lack of faith, uh, and it also uh, gives a practical historical examples of people who, you know, died having never, uh, you know, in unbelief, you know, having never, you know, having departed from the faith. They trusted Christ at one point. But over time, life's circumstances, uh, their own struggles, their own consequences of their own sin led them into a dark place, and they began to question God and wonder if he even exists. John the Baptist is a classic example. I mean, you can't claim that he steadfastly believed in the Lord when on his deathbed he's questioning if Jesus is who he says he is. Um, you can't believe in something and disbelieve it at the same time. So doubt and faith are mutually exclusive. You cannot doubt a proposition and believe that same proposition simultaneously. It's impossible. You can believe one thing and doubt another. Jesus, for example, uh, you know, the man said to Jesus, and uh, you know, uh, we believe, but help our unbelief. Well, they believed in him, but at the, in the moment they were struggling to believe that he could heal that you know uh, uh, person. So that's two different objects. They believed one thing, but they were struggling with another. But you can't believe and doubt the same thing at the same time. And so John the Baptist was explicitly doubting that Jesus is the Son of God, which is required for salvation. Does that mean he's in hell today? Of course not. Uh, Peter himself uh, doubted the Lord many times. Uh, but the Bible explicitly ad addresses this issue of the alleged need to continue believing until you die. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, that's the way the New King James translates it, it's actually the Greek word apistuo, if we stop believing would be a, a literal translation. It's the verb, uh, pistuo, I believe, uh, and the negative in front of it, ah, if I stop believing, God remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. See, the fact is, at the moment of salvation, when you believe the gospel, you become a child of God. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You're now born from above. You've been spiritually reborn. You were dead, now you're alive. And that spiritual DNA is yours forever, for all of eternity, and nothing can change it. So even if you stop believing, a simple spiritual DNA test will prove that you're a child of God. And that's why God said, I cannot deny myself. I can't do it. So uh, again, am I... <laughs> recommending or championing the cause of apostasy? Am I suggesting, oh, hey, no big deal. Just go out there and deny your faith. Absolutely not. That's one of the worst things you can do. The writer of Hebrews has some serious warnings to believers who intentionally choose to turn their back on God and, you know, stop believing. And it will lead to great unpleasantness. But you know what it won't lead to is hell because our eternal destiny is not contingent upon our ability to hang on to the Lord and keep believing. And sadly, many people do stop believing, uh, and they miss out on the joy of the Lord. They miss out on the rewards that are theirs at the Bema for, for finishing strong. I'm going to be speaking Sunday at Plum Creek about finishing strong. You know, the pe people in Nehemiah, they finished the wall in 52 days. We're, we're teaching through Nehemiah. So I'm going to talk about some general principles of what it means to finish strong. Uh, so I hope you do finish strong. 
And if you're struggling right now, questioning God, uh, maybe you you feel like you haven't, uh, you, you really don't believe in him anymore. Uh, let me encourage you to uh, get in the word of God. Let him prove himself to you. Uh, and for those parents out there, I talked to another one Sunday. It seems like this is why this is on my heart. I've had just a, 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 a an increase in the number of people in just the last week who have been burdened with tears in their eyes coming to me, literally, uh, either in heart-wrenching emails or on a couple of occasions in person saying, you know, my son or my daughter as a young person trusted in Christ, I was there, they expressed their faith, Um and uh, and yet now they're 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 walk they've walked away from the faith. You know they're part of the woke movement. They've turned their back on God. Uh, you know what can you tell me? And 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 what I can tell you is what Jesus told you. If they believed in Him, they've passed from death to life and shall never come into judgment. Period. He doesn't say you know you might have passed from death to life and shall never come into judgment. I got to wait and see. Let me see how you check out. Let me you know I'll let you know when when you trust in Christ. The response immediately from Him is not okay. Great, I'll get back to you. Talk to me again at the end of your life and let's see where you stand, and then I'll let you know if you're in or out. No, no, no. He gives you right then an answer instantly. I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. John ten twenty eight. And so if their son or daughter trusted in Christ, no matter what they, the terrible things they may be doing now, they can rest in the promise of Christ. Uh, that's what I tell them. And then uh, on a related note, uh, this one, again, people just, they just, their minds can't let, can't, can't get around this. They just, they can't understand it. But did you know that denying Christ can never undo your salvation? Uh, let me say that again, just to be clear. If you deny Christ, it will not undo your salvation. See, if you've trusted in Christ, there may be things that happen down the road that cause you to get angry. We see countless examples of it in Scripture. Peter, for heaven's sakes, three times denied Christ. Uh, he doesn't mean he wasn't saved. Uh, he denied Christ because in a moment of weakness, he chose the things of the world over the things of Christ. And who among us might not do the same thing if a gun were put to our head? We don't know. Uh, but I'm thankful that even if I deny him, he's not going to deny me. Now, a couple of passages that I feel compelled uh, to bring up. One is in that same passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where in the context we, we read a moment ago where, where God says, if we are faithless, that is, stop believing, then God remains faithful and cannot deny himself. But right before that, he says, um, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And in the context here, this is Paul's you know, second letter to Timothy. It's the same book where he says, I have finished the race. I have fought the fight. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, I hope uh, that you finish strong. I hope I finish strong. Paul finished strong. He encouraged Timothy to finish strong. And he knew that by enduring unto the end, there was a special reward, a crown, and he was going to reign with uh, the Lord. And that's what uh, perseverance leads to. It doesn't, we don't persevere to prove that we're really going to heaven. We persevere to be rewarded, to hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, but that verse goes on to say, if, as I said, if we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That's all it says. Now, how many people have read that and immediately said, see, if you deny him, you're going to hell. You're going to burn in hell if you deny him. That is not at all what it says. It never even mentions hell. He's talking to believers. In fact, he includes himself, if we. So basically, you have to think that Paul thought that at any point, if he denied Christ, he'd end up in hell. 
that that's what you have to believe. That's not at all what he's saying. In the context, he's saying if we don't endure, it's the same verse. It's parallelism. It's uh, contrasting. On the one end, if you endure, you get a crown. You 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 reign with him. But if you don't endure, if you deny him, well, then he's going to deny you the right to reign with him. You're not going to get those rewards. So any believer who at any point in their journey throws up their hands and say, enough, says enough, I, I don't even want to follow you anymore, Lord. I'm, I don't even know you. Uh, then you're not going to get that special commendation in heaven where the Lord summons you into the Father's office and says, Father, I just want to introduce you, you know, to Kurt Chamberlain. Uh, he was one of the good ones. He endured to the end. Or I want to introduce you to Dick Chamberlain. Father, he endured, and uh, he, you know, he deserves. Uh, he, he's earned based on his faithfulness, not salvation, because that's not something you can earn. That's a that's a free gift. But he's earned special privileges and special commendation in heaven. And then we will hear those words, "Well done." It's the same thing Jesus told the disciples after he sent out. Uh, the 70, uh, you know, or, or the 12, I'm sorry, this is Matthew 10, and he's giving them instruction, and he says in Matthew 10, 31, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, again, it says nothing about entrance into heaven. It says once you're there, you're not going to be receive this special commendation. That's what confess means. It means to say something. And, you know, those who boldly proclaim the Lord, and, and in the context, Jesus is talking about the persecution that the uh, these uh, brothers and sisters in Christ were going to, uh, you know, face. And he says, but if you stand firm, if you continue to say, Jesus is my Lord and confess me before men, then I'm going to confess you before the Father in heaven. I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to walk you into his office, and I'm going to say, Father, here's one of the good ones. They suffered much, but they never let go. And if you don't do that, if you give in, if your faith is weak and you deny the Lord, then he's not going to give that. He's going to deny you that special privilege. That's what that means. He's not talking here about entrance into heaven. And think for a moment of the implications if that was what he was saying. Wow, that changes everything. That changes the whole Christian life. Now our whole Christian life becomes this volitional effort to, boy, I better hang on. I better never deny Christ. You know, no matter what, I want to get to heaven, and I sure hope I get there. I can't wait to see what happens. You know, boy, I hope I was strong enough in my faith. I hope I never wavered. I hope I never denied. And and you end up with this works-based mentality that completely obliterates grace. And I hope that's not you. I hope you understand that nothing, nothing can undo what Jesus did for you at the moment of salvation, when you trusted in him and him alone for salvation. And I want to close out with a great passage that I hope will encourage you. And this is, you know, Paul just, you know, amazed at the incredible love of God in Romans chapter 8. And he says, what then shall we say to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if God was willing to send his son to the cross to die a cruel death so that you could have the free gift of eternal life, do you really think he's going to then make your eternal destiny contingent upon 
how much you sin, whether you've adopted heresy, whether you've stopped believing, whether you've denied Christ. Do you think he's going to, I mean, why in the world would Jesus have to die if ultimately you're the one that makes the determination? That's what he's saying. I'm going to freely give you everything. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? If Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long, quoting several passages here. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter from the Old Testament. And then Paul says, and here it is, listen carefully, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you are in Christ if you've placed your faith in him. And so, you are a created thing, and that means even you yourself cannot undo your own salvation because of something you do. You can't, you know, you can't stop believing and cause Christ to say, well, then you were never saved. You can't sin and cause Christ to say, well, you really didn't mean it when you believed. You can't stop because, you know, faith is not something that you have to, you know, it's not a commitment where you have to really, 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 really believe and promise to be good. It's, it's simply, do you believe it or not? Do you believe it or not? The gospel is so simple, a child can understand it. And that's why Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So nothing can undo your salvation. Nothing can cause it to be taken away. Nothing can disprove it if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. So we will end with this uh, just plea, you know, a, a plea really from the heart. If you're listening to this podcast and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, I implore you, trust in him today. He's the only one who can save you. He took your place on the cross. By believing in him, he immediately will give you the eternal gift of eternal life that can never, uh, ever be lost. Uh, amen. Curtis, what do you think? Well, uh, my brother, as usual, um, I find myself in total agreement with you uh, on everything that you said. Uh, you know, and I, I want to thank you for the reminder here uh, that the most important thing uh, as a Bible student or somebody that's just looking into Christianity and wondering if they could believe it, uh, you know, uh, or, or such, is that um, a simple misunderstanding of something that you've that you've read or 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 maybe have been taught in the past uh, can create this doubt and confusion and 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 can cause you to fall away. Uh, I'm reminded of years ago I was sitting at a breakfast with a with a fairly prominent pastor in a Texas uh, community, and uh, we we were at a at a breakfast talking about um, me possibly becoming a member of the church and teaching Sunday school classes and, and whatnot. Uh, and uh, we, we had a discussion about 
loss of salvation, hmm. which he believed could happen, and I didn't believe it could happen. And you know, he he, he I'll never forget the verse that he asked me about. He said, "Well, what are you going to do with Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, verse fourteen?" And uh, I looked it up. Uh, in one on my phone concordance, <laughs> I didn't lug my three thousand pound me <laughs> like you said, and it, it, that verse says, "Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord." And and he was using that verse to say, "Hey, if you're not holy, then you're not getting into heaven," and. And holy, he, he, he was misunderstanding the doctrine of salvation and sanctification both. Yeah. Uh, through, through, you know, uh, he meant well, I'm sure he did. And he believed at some point in his time, uh, in his life, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for his sin and he accepted it. Mm -hmm. He's going to find out when he gets to heaven that. He was wrong about that other part of you know his belief system. So a simple misunderstanding will not cause you to lose your salvation. And I want to thank you for reminding our listeners of that. Yeah. Can can I clarify that verse real quick? Sure. Yeah, because that's one of many uh, that people, you know, completely misunderstand. Uh, so again, the passage says, uh, you know, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And they say, oh, well, you got to be holy if you're going to, you know, get into heaven. Well, absolutely you do. But there's two kinds of holiness, just like there's two kinds of righteousness. Okay. You can be positionally holy the moment you trust Christ, that's the moment right. you give the gift of eternal life. From that point on, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. So from a positional standpoint, you are in Christ. Nothing can change that. And when you stand before God someday, that's what he's going to see. But until that moment, until we stand before God, we have a lot of living to do. And our right. task is to let our practice reflect our position. Amen. Our practice must reflect our position. And if it doesn't, then... You know, you, you know, there's consequences for that, but it doesn't change our position. You know, I don't always act like a Christian. I, I know that'll come as a shock to you, Curtis, but, uh, you know, sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I get in the flesh. Sure. And um, uh, by the way, if you need uh, verification of that, just talk to my family, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that doesn't mean I'm not in Christ positionally righteous. And That's so, right. You know, people just, I'm sorry to keep, you know, keep preaching here, but people don't understand the distinction between our position mm -hmm. and our practice. And that's, right. that's the oh, essence of really what we were saying. Hey, pastor said, you said there was no alliteration today. You just did that. Yeah, that was for you, Pastor Dick. Special alliteration. <laughs> the king of alliteration. The, the, uh, yeah, the student you, is teaching you, the pupil here. You, you, if you could see the smile that I'm seeing on his face right now, yeah. <laughs> you just made his day. Thank oh, you. man. And listen, uh, today's today's message made my day. Boy, a lot of, a lot of good reminders in there, JB. And boy, I really want to reiterate how blessed we are to have you on board and, and uh, participating uh, with us on the Christian Underground News Network at we we consider you a, a blessing and and a valuable asset among other things 
and uh, just a, a wonderful Christian brother and friend, and and uh, we 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 can't we can't we can't really put into words how much we appreciate you, and uh, so thank you so much for being with us again today, brother. Well, you are so kind. I mean, I I'm not. Uh... I'm I'm humbled by that, but you know enough about me. Let's let's talk about what Pastor Dick thinks about me. So Pastor Dick, Pastor Dick, <laughs> you, you, some of the things he's told me about you. Oh, oh I know. I know. Uh, he, he he listen. He thinks you're the best thing since apple butter. Believe me. Absolutely. <laughs> he's nodding his head. You don't know how much I miss you. How much we miss you, Sharon and I both. Yeah. Well, praise God. Well, thanks again, guys. You're you're a blessing, and uh, looking forward to the next time. So, so are we, JB. And uh, for our listeners, uh, be ready, stay prepared. Pastor Dick is going to have something for you here pretty soon. Uh, not sure what day because things are kind of busy over here at this house right now. But uh, but we'll get to it, and I promise you, it'll be good. Uh, just as good what you heard today. And listen, uh, think about what you heard today. Um, you, <laughs> if you believed, your position won't change. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what the whole point was that JB was making. If you truly believed, then you can't change. That won't change your position if you if you screw up because you're human every now and then. That's so right. you, you are secure. Yeah. And uh, what what a message. What a message. What a great gift, huh? Mm, amen. And don't yeah, forget uh, Prophecy Night tonight, folks, uh, at Not By Works. Uh, you can stream that at notbyworks.org. Or if you're in the Denver metro area, come out tonight at uh, at 6 o'clock. Uh, we're doing a dedicated Q&A tonight. So if I can throw this in here at the end, if you've got yeah. any questions, if you email them to me, uh, just email them to uh, jb at notbyworks.org. Uh, if you do that today, I, chances are I'll get them in time for tonight and we can look over them and we'll include them in our Q&A tonight. Six o'clock mountain time oh, yeah. tonight. Oh, amen. And, and thank you for taking the time to do that too, JB. Really appreciate it. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to get out of everybody's way and let them continue on with their day. And uh, JB, thank you so much again for being with us. And we look forward to the next time. And we also look forward to being with our listeners whom we love and care for very much. And we thank, uh, we thank them for tuning in and being with us today. Um, but until the next time, this is the Christian Underground News Network signing off. May God bless and keep you. <laughs>